0: I used to uh, help my mother in her, in her garden. I reluctantly helped my mother in her, her garden. And as I was helping her, I often wondered why she would plant these little root-looking-like things. And didn't look like anything. Mother Scroggins, but she would plant them in the ground, these little root things. And I would say, Mother, why are you planting that root-looking thing in the ground? What is that going to do? And she would tell me, well, son, if that thing takes root, it will spring up and blossom to a beautiful flower, and I will not have to plant that flower again. It will come up year after year After year, she called them bulbs. And these bulbs, once they were planted, would come back every year at springtime. Now that I do a little gardening of my own, I have learned that these flowers are called perennials. Amen. They are called perennials. They are called perennials because... They blossom. Once you plant, they come back after season after season. Perennials are different from flowers that are called annuals. Hey, man, somebody's tracking with me. Perennials are different than flowers that are called annuals. And annuals are flowers that live and bloom only for a season. When the winter comes, these flowers die. And wither. Unlike perennials, they don't bloom again. According to Jesus, in the parable of the sower, there are spiritual annuals and spiritual perennials. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 20 to 21. These are spiritual annuals. Jesus says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while, and when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Spiritual annuals. When the seasons change and the weather changes, withers, falls away, because it has no root in itself. But then there are spiritual perennials. Matthew chapter 13, verse 23. Jesus says, But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and he indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, and in another, thirty. And as we saw last week, beloved, what Paul was praying for, Paul was praying that Colossians would be perennials and not annuals. This is the desire, as we saw last week, of any spirit-filled Christ-led pastor. He would desire for the people as they are growing in the knowledge and understanding of Christ, that they would have that root in them so that they would be spiritual perennials and not annuals. Paul was praying, therefore, according to the will of God. God desires for all his people, beloved, to be fruitful in this sense. In spiritual things, beloved, fruit is a sign of knowing God, knowing God and being in right relationship with him. And therefore, Paul prayed. He prayed for these Colossian Christians in verse 10 that they would be bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. This increasing in the knowledge of God is not knowledge for knowledge's sake. But this is life-changing knowledge. In other words, the the better you know God and the more you know of God, the more it changes you the more it should be changing you because knowing God changes your life. Trusting Christ is a difference maker. Walking in the Spirit should be and is transformational. True knowledge of God, beloved, true knowledge of God brings light and heat. Light and heat. This is what Paul is praying for. He's praying for light among the Colossian Christians. He is praying for heat within the hearts of these Colossian Christians. Too many Christians, so-called anyway, have light but very little or no heat. Or they have heat and very little or no light beloved, but Biblical Christianity is light and heat. Light is that truth of God illuminated in our lives, whereby we understand who God is and how the Word illuminates the character and the nature and the person of Jesus Christ. But we need more than just light, we need heat, for that light comes and should be producing a heat within our hearts a passion and excitement for service and for the work of Christ light and heat the bible tells us that light without heat beloved is a cold heartless christianity 1st corinthians chapter 13 tells us that it is full of knowledge but it lacks compassion and love. It is a loud symbol, but it says nothing. Light without heat is a cold and heartless Christianity, but heat without light is warm ignorance. It is passion and enthusiasm for the glory of man, not the glory of God. It is a zeal of God, but not according to the knowledge of who God is and what God wants. But taking root, beloved, and bearing fruit is light and heat. And this is what Paul prayed for. He prayed for steady growing and faith increasing and ever learning, fruit bearing, spirit loving disciples of Christ. But the interesting thing, beloved, as he is praying for this, he does understand the reality of it. And the reality of it is that taking root and bearing fruit, having both light and heat, is not easy. Paul is aware of that. He is aware that fruit-bearing and growing and knowledge of God is not an easy command. The world rails against it. You try to take root in the gospel and live fruitfully and all around you will be railing against it. The world in which you live you will have to live contramundum against the world. The world rails against it but not only does the world rail against it your flesh resists. it. The Bible reminds us that the flesh is willing I mean that the, that the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. You know what you ought to do, Paul says, and still you don't do it. You know what you ought not to do, and still you are in pursuit of it. Your spirit is very willing to, to spend time in prayer and Bible study, and service, with those children. It's your flesh that gets in the way. And so uh, Paul understands that the world rails against it, the flesh resists it, the devil rallies against it. If he can just get you, he can't stop you from being a Christian once the Lord calls you, but what he wants to do is make you impotent. to keep you living in the excuses that you can't grow, that you can't increase in the knowledge of God, that the love of God cannot be growing in your heart. He wants you to think that you are an annual rather than a perennial. The world rails against it, the flesh resists it, the devil rallies against it. Beloved, pleasing God, and being a fruitful is not hard to understand. See, the Bible clearly says it. it's just difficult to pursue. It's difficult to walk in it. And Paul knows this, beloved. God knows this. And so as he was praying, as he was praying for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, for them to live lives that are pleasing to God, for them to be bearing fruit in every good work. Paul prayed that God would supply all that was needed to please him. He prayed that God would supply all that was needed for these Christians to be bearing fruit. His prayer included the supply. This is wonderful, beloved, but it reminds us that God never commands what he doesn't provide. God never commands, beloved, anything that he doesn't supply. And therefore, Paul prayed, and he prayed, and therefore, beloved, you and I can pray, can pray for all things necessary to fulfill his will. The Lord wants you to be fruitful. The Lord wants you to live lives that are pleasing to him. The Lord wants you to be bearing fruit in every good work, but if you and I are going to need, are going to do that, the Bible here reminds us there are some things we're going to need, and the first one is we're going to need some strength. So what does Paul pray in verse eleven? May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might. Paul says, I'm not just praying for your fruit. I'm not just Praying for your good works, I'm praying that you would have the strength to pursue them, and that strength would not well up within inside you, but that strength would come from God Himself. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. All power means that you would be well supplied, beloved well-supplied. You know, when you have the Holy Spirit abiding in you, beloved, whether you realize it or not, the Spirit never loses power. You may find yourself growing weak. He's not. I find myself growing weak and weak. It is because, beloved, I am not leaning on him. Paul says, don't lean on yourself. I'm praying that you would be strengthened. Strengthened with all power, meaning that you would have power and strength in every situation. That there is not a situation, a temptation, or a trial that comes your way with which God has not given you in His Spirit the power to endure it, to face it. That you would have all power that is needed at any time, all power that is needed. At any time. Now, beloved, I get it. There are some tough times. There are some difficult times. But here is the promise of the scriptures. That whatever power is needed, whatever supply is necessary, at any given time, God has provided it. He has provided it. I'm amazed. When when our kids were little, we had five kids, and they were all under the age of, what, honey, what was it, about six? All under the age of six. Five kids all under the age of six or so. And people would come up and say, "Whoa, boy, I don't know what I would do with five kids. And I said, Of course you don't know what you would do with five kids because God had been giving you the power for five kids. Because he doesn't waste his power. But I can tell you what you would do if you had five kids. You'd have all the power necessary. Because he supplies all the power you need. And it is powerful today, beloved. Spend all our time worrying that we're going to have enough power for next week. And God says, I'm supplying you power for today. Let next week take take care of next week. You need power right now. You need supply right now. You need sustenance right now. I'm going to get you through right now. what it says First Peter I mean 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 his divine power has granted unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness all things by his divine power that you would be empowered with power You're going to be fruitful. You're going to need strength. And Paul is praying that you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. You're going to bear fruit in every good work and you're going to need endurance. You're going to need to keep at it. You're going to need to keep going. And so he says, for all endurance and patience. For all endurance, he he prayed that they would hold on, that they would hold out, that they would wait on the Lord. He prayed that they would have stamina. This is what Christians have. Christians have staying power. Staying power. And this is because this is the nature and the characteristic of the God that we serve, the God who has redeemed us, the God in whose image we have been made, the God who dwells within us and commutes his attributes to us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 15 and verse 5 that he is a God of endurance. He doesn't give up. He keeps going and going and going and going if you read the scriptures, beloved, this is what God's people do. If you look throughout the history of the church, this is what God's people do. God's people persevere. It's always marked out God's people. There's a long line, beloved, of secession among Christians in this world. There has never been a time, there has never been a time on the face of this earth, when God created man and woman, that he has ceased to have a testimony on this earth. God's people have always continued on. You read the scriptures, I'm not making that up. God has always had a people. Ever since he first created his people. He has always had a people and will have a people. Isn't that the testimony of Noah and his family, beloved? God determines because of the sinfulness and the depravity of humanity that he is going to wipe out the earth. And yet... He chooses a people to continue and endure and persevere through the flood, through the tribulation, through the horror, through the pain, through the trial. He keeps his people. He always has. He always will. That's why Paul is praying. Endure, endure, endure. Why? Because God endures with you. Kingdoms come, beloved, and kingdoms go. The church is still here. Kings and rulers come and kings and rulers go. The church is still here. Policies come and policies go. The church is still here. Movements come and movements go, but the church is still here. Beloved, philosophies and religions come and philosophies and religions go, but the church is still here. Troubles rise and troubles fall, but the Christian remains through them all, through them all the storm through the rain through the heartache through all the pain the Christian remains billows may roll and breakers may dash but I will not sway why? because he holds me fast Are you keeping God? Beloved, if you're keeping God, it's because God is keeping you. And he's keeping me, keeping him, keeping me. And so we pray. Pray. Pray for power. Pray for endurance. Pray for thanksgiving with joy. In all things, in all things, an attitude of gratitude. That's where, beloved, that's the that's the soil upon which the good works and the fruit that we are called to, to bear springs up out of an attitude of gratitude. I'm giving thanks, giving thanks, beloved. You know, I am convinced, I am convinced That there is nothing that rejoices a parent's heart more than a truly thankful child. Nothing. Nothing. And if that is true for us wicked and depraved parents, how much more is that true of God? How heaven overflows when the children of God are truly thankful. Giving thanks, beloved, opens the door for God's presence. It opens the windows of his pleasure. God is pleased when his people give thanks. And there is nothing that you should be giving thanks more for than any evidence of fruit and good work in your life. Because you do understand, right, that, that, that fruit is owing to divine grace. If you are bearing fruit unto every good work, it is because God has been gracious to you. Fruit is always owing to divine grace. Consider this. Who does the grapevine thank for the grapes? Who does the peach tree thank for the peaches? Who does the Christian thank for being a Christian? When was the last time you gave thanks to God that you are even a Christian? Much less bearing fruit and living pleasing unto Him. Unto every good work. Who do you thank? You thank God the Father. That's who, beloved, a fruitful life gives thanks. The Christian life says, Thank you. Thank you. For whatever betides, thank you. interesting here that as Paul is preaching I mean as he is praying he suddenly just goes over into preaching you see that there's a transition that's made here you ever heard uh, uh, Elder Woodard preach ever heard him preach have you ever heard him pray then you've heard him preach because when he prays he often skips over into preaching but I think that's biblical that's what the apostle Paul does here He prays, he prays that they would be filled with power, he prays for their endurance, he prays that they would be thankful with joy, and it's almost like he's asking the question that they anticipate, why bear fruit, why endure, why give thanks, and Paul says, well then consider everything that God has done. I'm not praying now, I'm preaching. I'm preaching. You don't take for granted, beloved, what God has given you. In fact, it is what God has done in those darkest moments and in those most difficult times when you rehearse the grace and the mercy of God. This is what the enemy and the world cannot do, beloved, they can do a lot of things. They can do a lot of things, but they can't put out the light of God's grace. They cannot cancel your inheritance. And so you notice what the apostle says. Why bear fruit? Why endure? Why give thanks? Because God has given you a share in the inheritance of the saints of life. He has given you an inheritance in the, of the saints of light, beloved. This reminds us again here that we are the people of God. We belong to him. You do know that inheritance is something that belonged to Israel. You go back into the Old Testament and you will see over and over again that it is the nation of Israel that is to inherit the blessings of God. It is the nation of Israel that is to inherit the land that God has given to them. It is Israel who is to inherit, to be qualified by God, to have a share In all that God has given. In the Old Testament, beloved Israel, therefore, was called the Son of God. Because as the Son of God, they were to receive the inheritance of their father. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, that when Jesus was revealed, He was revealed as what? The Son of God, who now receives all the inheritance. The the Son of God, who now receives all the privileges. The Son of God, who is to receive all that the Father has. He is to receive the inheritance, and all who are in Christ are now called sons and daughters of God. Don't miss that, beloved. God has given you a share in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then now you are to receive the inheritance that belongs to the saints in light. It's yours. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy, you who were not God's people are now God's people. At one time you were not qualified, but now in Christ you have received the qualification to be called saints in life. Not only has God given you a share in the inheritance, beloved, but he has delivered us from the domain, from the realm of darkness. You have been rescued. You have been delivered. You have been set free. Now, most people don't think about it much. I'm sure that most of us hadn't really thought about it this morning. But here is the truth of the matter, beloved, The truth is that at one time, you were held captive in the realm of darkness. You were held captive in the domain of Satan. You belong to him. I know it's not a pretty thought to think about. You really hadn't thought about it much. But I want to suggest to you this morning, And if you are here in your right mind and your heart set on the things of Christ, that was not always the case, beloved. You were at one time under the wrath of God, you were at one time a citizen of the domain and the dominion and the kingdom of darkness. It is a ram where Satan had you bound, and Satan had you blinded by your sin. And notice what it says in First Peter chapter two and verse nine. However, but now you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who did what? Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Out of darkness, into his marvelous light. I know we don't sing it, but we ought to rehearse it in our minds. Satan had me bound, but Jesus lifted me. Satan had you ought never forget that, beloved. You ought never forget that Satan had you bound, but Jesus lifted me. Satan had me bound, but Jesus lifted me and seen glory. Hallelujah! Jesus lifted me. This is why you bear fruit. This is why you seek to live a life that's pleasing to him. This is why you seek to bear fruit unto every good work. Because Satan had you bound. But Jesus lifted you out of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of light. He transferred you, beloved. Therefore, into the kingdom of Christ. I I, I love the fact, beloved, that it's not just that he took you out of darkness and he says, okay, make your own way. But he took you out of darkness and he placed you into Christ, into his kingdom. He transferred ownership. He didn't set you free on your own. He didn't set you free and therefore told you to go and fend for yourself. Because if he had set me free, beloved, and he had told me to fend for myself, I know what I would have done. I'd have run right back into those chains where Satan had me bound. But he didn't set you free and let you go. Took you from the kingdom of Satan. And he placed you into the kingdom of his dear son. This is what God does. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 18, Paul says, he opens eyes. He turns from darkness to light. He takes you from the power of Satan to the power of God, God says, beloved, I set you free to be with me. Satan no longer has reign. Sin no longer has reign over us. You belong to Christ. You are not your own. You are not your own, beloved. You ever wonder why there is not more fruit being born in your life, beloved? It is because probably you have forgotten that you are not your own. You think you belong to you, and you don't belong to you. And if you would get up every morning and say, say, what would you have me do, Lord? Where would you have me to go? What would you have me to say? For you have purchased me, and I am not my own. And therefore, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I want to glorify you in my body. I guarantee you, you will be as fruitful as anything walking. You wake up in the morning and ask the Lord, Lord, what you want me to do? Where you want me to walk? How you want me to talk? What would you have me to give? You walk not in the kingdom of Satan, And not in the kingdom of your own making, but in the kingdom of Christ, because you belong to him. And everything that belongs to him, beloved, is pleasing to him and bears fruit unto every good work. we have redemption the forgiveness of sins this here is just a summation of the matter beloved the the source of all fruit the source of all labor the source of all joy is that we are saved by Jesus we are forgiven we are forgiven 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 of what? Well, what does the Bible say? Sins. 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 What I am particularly excited about this morning is that sins is in the plural. Then say you are forgiven of sin. That's great too. That I am forgiven of the imputed. Sin of Adam upon me that stands between me and God. God has removed sin. But this morning, the text says that you are forgiven of sins. Sin is what I got from Adam, sins is what I do all the time. My sins, my sins. He has forgiven me of my sins. Now this, beloved, is rehearsed over and over and over again, over and over again in the scriptures. And I will just read some of these passages to you. But over and over again, it is God who delights to forgive his people of their sins. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25. He says, I, I am he who... Who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. I will not remember your sins. Isaiah 38 and verse 17. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love, You have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. All my sins behind your back. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12. Where the Lord says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will Remember their sins no more. Their sins no more. Micah, chapter 7, verse 19. And he will again have compassion on us. He will tread out our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Beloved, God promises in Christ to forgive you of all sins. All sins. All sins. I don't know if I can say that enough. All sins. In fact, you ought to say that with me. All sins. How many sins? All sins. How many sins? All sins. Not just some. All of them. All of them, beloved. When they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, how many times ought we to forgive? Seven? And Jesus said, no. Try 70 times seven. Well, beloved, I can tell you right now that Jesus didn't mean 490. Because if that's the case, I'm done. I used up my quota this morning. When he says 490, beloved, he essentially is saying, as God forgives, you forgive, because God forgives all. All sins, beloved, all sins. And I cannot press this upon you enough, beloved, because this here is the source of fruit in your life. This is the source of good work in your life. If I was not convinced that the Lord has forgiven me of all my sins, you wouldn't have a preacher this morning. Because I know my mind and I know my heart And the only way that I can labor in the things of God is I hear God saying, I have forgiven you of all your sins. Gosh, Lord, I missed a shot this morning. He said, that's okay, I made it. He said, Lord, but I dropped the ball. And he said, that's okay, I caught it. And you say, Lord, but I dropped the baton. And he said, that's okay, because I picked it up. Now let's run. Now let's run. Because, beloved, there is no sin that the Lord would not forgive you this morning. And oftentimes the thing that keeps us from serving is because we think there's too much sin in our lives. And I want to say to you this morning that God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you all your sins. And you can come and worship and serve him bearing fruit unto every good work because sin is no longer the problem. Your coming is. And would you come? Would you come this morning and be reminded that all is for all is forgiven. All is forgiven. All, all, all is forgiven, beloved. In Christ Jesus, all is forgiven.